So last time we defined it as a depression as a persistent um, state that ranges from sadness to despair. All right, let me got some computer issues here. So a, a persistent state, persistent emotional state that ranges from sadness to despair. And that's how the, the scriptures kind of talk through that. And we also learned last time that depressed feelings don't just arise kind of out of thin air, right? You don't just kind of walk into a cloud of depression and then, it, and then it sort of fixes on you, even though it might feel that way. There are typically various reasons that we might feel depressed. Now, this is going to be a synthesis of what we talked about last week, so I'm going to kind of simplify it for us now. But um, do you remember anything that we, that we talked about from last week about, about causes, what might be causing these depressive feelings? What's that? Okay, so past memories, okay. Human suffering. Yep, anything else? Guilt, definitely, Psalm 32. Your body, yep. Yeah, good. So I'm going to kind of take a lot of these things that we talked about last week and kind of condense them into three categories. We're going to use these um, today. So some people feel depressed simply because there's something going on with their body. So if we start, if we start with kind of the basics, we, we might call this or, there are organic issues, meaning things that medically can be tested and treated. Anytime your body goes through some serious change, people sometimes experience depressive feelings. Okay, so after giving birth, women feel very down because their hormones are leveling back out. After people come through serious surgery, it's very common to feel depressed. Sometimes there's actually something wrong with you, you know, like your depression's a signal that something's not working the right way, like, a, like your thyroid or other things. The medical guys could tell you that much better than me. Um, but, you know, you could have physiological reactions that make you feel sad because of things that are, that are functioning improperly. They can be tested and treated medically. So we might call those organic issues, right? And the feelings, this, these emotions we feel of sadness or despair could come, from, could, could come from some of those. But most commonly, however, uh, people experience depressed feelings because they're going through difficult circumstances. There's circumstantial reasons for depression. And we, we learned last week, we saw in Scripture, that it's normal and right to feel grief and sorrow over certain circumstances, hard circumstances, things, things that are difficult. But many times, the difficult circumstances, the trials that we face, can often become a temptation to believe lies and then respond accordingly. Okay, does that make sense? So on the one hand, something happens, difficult, it's right and appropriate to feel grief and sorrow, but then the trial itself can be a temptation to, to unbelief. We often respond to the trial without faith, and that normal sadness that's appropriate turns into a, a faithless despair and like a hopelessness um, in the midst of the, the trial. And then almost as common, this would be our third category here, People experience depressive feelings when they have a guilty conscience. 
I have a guilty conscience. So, when there's unconfessed sin, like we saw in Psalm 32 last week, there could be a lot of depressed feelings. You know, you've sinned, you're guilty, you know it. You're trying to hide it, you're trying to minimize it, blame shift. And then almost equally kind of in the same category would be we, this, these attempts to self-atone. They can lead to feelings of despair and hopelessness because you can't, you can't, you know you kind of can't atone for your sin. And so we'll talk more about that at the end. I just want to give you these up front here. It's a synthesis of kind of what we talked about last week. And it's incredibly important to know that these feelings, these emotions, where they come from because it informs how we battle them and how we make progress in it. Does that make sense? When we have to know this in particular, that our depressed feelings are a symptom of a problem. Okay, If you don't get anything else, remember that. Our depressed feelings are a symptom of a problem. They are not the ultimate problem, even though they are problematic. We've all been there. We've all been in despair at different points. It's incredibly problematic, but it's a symptom of the problem. It's not the ultimate problem. It's the check engine light for our souls. And it prompts us, the depressive feelings prompt us to look a little deeper, right? To ask some questions, to diagnose ourselves and to try to diagnose some of the, what's really going on? What are some of these root issues, we might say, that are happening? So what is a fundamental problem, right? What is that? Well, again, this is, we, we covered this extensively in that series that we, we worked through last year, the Growing Up series. The deeper problem is in how we think. Okay, that's the biblical answer. The deeper problem is in how we think. So like Eve in the garden, we fall and pray to the serpent's deception. And those lies are churning up all kinds of desires in us, all kinds of emotions, like despair and hopelessness. And instead of taking those thoughts captive, we keep listening to them. We keep acting on those thoughts and feelings. And so the downward spiral of depression keeps going. We're playing right into Satan's hands, right into the hands of our flesh. Satan loves nothing more than to whisper lies to God's people that make us feel hopeless, useless, and unloved. He loves to whisper lies that, 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 that tell us that the life that God's given us is not worth living. And so when it comes to battling this topic this morning, when it comes to fighting depression, the heart of the battle lies in how we think. The Psalms are going to show us that we've got to stop listening to ourselves and start preaching to ourselves, preaching truth to ourselves. Or to use Paul's language, we, we've got to renew our minds. Romans 12, Ephesians 4. We've got to rely on Christ and His truth over how we feel and choose to act on His word by faith. And that's how we stop that downward spiral of depression. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Fighting depression, both in our lives and then you might say how to help others fight it. I'll try to kind of go back and forth as we, as we work through this this morning. And uh, since... We've, these feelings arise for these variety of reasons. I think it's best to kind of arrange our approach under those headings that we just talked about. So, um, oh, there you go. So, we'll call this lesson Fighting Depression. And let's start with thinking through some of these organic issues and how to, and how to fight at that level. All right? 
if somebody comes to me and they're telling me that they feel depressed, one of the first things I want to do is try to identify or rule out any of these organic issues, right? Like it makes it simpler. Is this a woman who's just had a child? It's important to know. Uh, is this person sleep deprived? Again, very important to know. Have they just had a major surgery of some kind? Are they sick? Is there an illness that they've been suffering from? Are they on any prescription medications? Okay, because a lot, a lot of times these prescription meds can have side effects that cause depressive feelings. Like any, like any, like blood pressure medicine, heart, heart medication, antibacterial drugs, any of that stuff can, and obviously psychiatric drugs can, can have these depressive side effects. And even though this is a physical issue, we still need God's truth to help us renew our minds and navigate these feelings when they come up. So here are some helpful truths, I think, that will help you or others that you're interacting with kind of navigate uh, how they might feel during these, these organic issues, okay? So first thing you've got to know is that your body and your soul are linked. Your body and your soul are linked. So you see that clearly in Genesis 2.7 where God forms the man from the dust of the ground, then he breathes into him the spirit of life. So there's a spirit of a man, his inner man, you might say, and then there's an outer man, the body. And they're both holy, they're both good in the beginning. God created them both and intends them to dwell together forever. There's a resurrection coming where we will be reunited with a physical body in perfection and in glory forever. And so you've got to know that they're linked. And so then, why do I say that? Because you don't want to be surprised when bodily trauma affects your spiritual life and vice versa, when your spiritual life affects your body, right? Um, Those things go together. Many times we miss the connection, and so we don't consider how one may affect the other. So that means then something as practical as as making sure that you're taking care of your body is is a biblical thing, right? Got to make sure that you're taking care of your body. Do you need more rest? What changes could you make in your schedule or your routine to get more rest if that's, if that's what you need? If you're getting 10 hours of sleep at night, you don't need more rest, okay? But sometimes you may. Oftentimes, you know, for that, I keep using that young mother illustration because we just kind of exited that phase um, ourselves. Um, but... You know, a lifeline for, a, for somebody in that, that phase is going to be when they can just get sleep, right? Like, they can, they can just rest. Their body's gone through a lot, you know, to, to, to bring that baby into the world. And then, then they're typically sleep-deprived because they're on a, a every two-hour or 30-minute rotation, you know, to, to feed the child. And so that lasts throughout the night, especially if the sleep is mixed up, which is so often the case. So just getting some sleep is a, a huge, huge help. Sometimes, you know, if, you're, if we're thinking through these things and we're like, look, there's nothing else going on in their life and, and they they're, seem to be taking good care of their body, but they, they just feel depressed, I'll definitely recommend that somebody get a full checkup, you know, from their doctor, right? Like, go see your physician, get a full checkup, make sure they don't have some medical condition that needs treatment. This isn't typically the first place I go to say go, go to the doctor and get a checkup. But if, if you're kind of ruling out a lot of other things, this, this might be a good, a good next step. We talked about the thyroid earlier. 
thyroid medication may end up helping those depressed feelings. That's, if that's the cause, if that's where they're coming from. So one thing I just want to point out here, and I'll definitely defer to the med school guys on this piece, but um, this idea of chemical imbalance in the brain is the most popular theory, right, for why people, in the culture, for why people experience depression. Um, studies are coming out, though, that are, that are really saying there's really no data to support that uh, empirically. Is that fair? And so, and on top of that, they're not really sure exactly how the antidepressant medication works. So they know it does help some people sometime. So the reason I'm bringing that up here is because you can't really claim that, uh, that chemical imbalance is, a, is an organic issue because you can't test for it. There are no tests to do for the chemical imbalances. So there are tests you can do for all, all sorts of other organic issues. But just beware that as you go to and talk to your physician, that they'll typically um, either recommend therapy or medication. That's the typical treatment plan for these things. And again, um, if, if, there's, if there's an organic issue, you think that might help. You're a young mother, you're coming out of that. There's some other thing going on, and you, they're really suggesting, hey, you really feel crushed by this. Look, I'm not saying don't ever take meds. Okay? It's just a, it's a medicine, and it impacts your body. Just be aware of that. I care more about how you think about the medicine, okay? Because the medicine is like aspirin, like it's taking away a physical symptom, right? These depressed feel, or may, I should say, may, that's a big asterisk, may take away, because like typically they have to run through a lot of, a lot of medications and try them to see which one is effective um, for you. Um, sometimes it causes more depression, so it's, it really is a bit of a Russian roulette there, but it does help some people. So the point there is that it's not that medication is evil in itself, it's just that it, it, it takes away a symptom that's happening. And if it's an organic symptom, great. But if it's, if it's rooted in something else, if, if your depressive feelings are rooted in sin or some other, other improper response to a situation, you might want to think twice before you kind of just medicate, right? So um, again, I'm not a doctor. I can't really speak to these issues super clearly. I would refer you to these other guys on that. Um, but anything you would want to chime in there and fill in? Look, we covered it. Is that fair? He shrugged. So, okay. Just making sure. All right. Yeah, I'm out of my, I don't like to go out of, out of my zone. And I went out of my zone there for a bit. All right, I'm going to get back. Body and soul are intertwined. That's important to, to recognize. And if that didn't make sense, it'll probably make sense as we, as we move forward. Um, another thing you need to know is God has his good purposes in this bodily change. Okay? So if you're experiencing something like this, it's often tempting to feel like a victim when you're going through this kind of bodily issue, whether it's a surgery or an illness, birth of a child. The depression feels awful, and the thoughts that run through our minds might be scary at times. But we have to remember that even in this, God is with us, and he is working in this experience for our good. Just, just like Romans 8.28 says. He's teaching us to rely on what, less on what we feel and more on what we know, what he's promised. And he takes all of his children through that lesson. Okay? The Lord is, he, know, he, knows, your, he knows your frame. Another, good, another truth to remember is he knows your frame and is merciful in your weaknesses. Super helpful. 
you know, when you're experiencing some organic issue like this. Often people that are walking through this will, will have a sensitive conscience. They might feel more discouraged because they're not maybe keeping up with the spiritual disciplines like they used to, or uh, they're not reading the Bible like they should. Sometimes they're not able to be in church as regularly as they want to be because of the recovery time. You know, they've been hospitalized or whatever it may be. And it's surprising. Like, as an outsider, you're like, well, duh. Like, you're, you just got surgery. Like, you have to recover. But, like, they might feel extreme levels of, of guilt around some of these things. And that compounds the discouragement and the despair. But the psalm that I put here, Psalm 103, says that God has compassion on us as his children. And he knows our weak frame. And that's in the context of our frailties and sins. He knows those things. He has compassion. He's patient with your weaknesses, especially during this season with the malfunctioning body. Very, very helpful. And then finally, it's good to remember that you're not going to be in this season forever. And Ecclesiastes 3 talks about that. There's, a, there's seasons for everything, right? And it just kind of is poetic, but just helping us see that the seasons change. God's sovereign through it all. So that new mother's hormones are eventually going to level out. And her thoughts might still be there, but at least she was not going to have to fight her body and, and her thoughts, right? Like there, it's, it's kind of a double whammy there. Uh, that baby's eventually going to learn to sleep, and the depri- sleep deprivation won't last forever. Um, so it's a helpful reminder that when it feels like we're going to be trapped in this situation forever, we know that, that there's likely an end, even temporally, but even if it's not, even if, it's, if the illness you have is incurable, or it's a chronic pain, or whatever it may be, that's temporary. Like, there is resurrection coming where that will end. And that is our great, great hope. So, some things to think about here if, if you're dealing with depressed feelings, if you think you might be de- dealing with depressed feelings around some organic issues. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about difficult circumstances. Okay, difficult circumstances. In a world that's full of sin and suffering, it is normal and even appropriate to feel this crushing sorrow over sad things. Okay? It's appropriate to grieve certain circumstances and it not be sin. We looked at that last week. You can grieve with hope. That's the Bible's language. You can experience sorrow while still rejoicing in Christ. But as we often know, that appropriate sorrow can turn into this sort of sour despondency into a kind of sinful hopelessness. And we learned then last week that our depressed feelings are sinful when they're untethered from faith. That's what we said. It's untethered from faith, meaning when we grieve without hope in God's word or we sorrow without any optimism from God's promises underneath it. So let's unpack that a little bit more as we're, as we're thinking, through, thinking through this. You know, you're going about your life and a circumstance hits. And in that moment, you have a choice. You can and you will respond in one of two ways. It's like a fork in the road. You're either going to respond in faith, trusting God and His Word, or you're going to respond in unbelief. It's like two options. There's really no neutral option here. And it's often when we're responding in unbelief when we're not confronting those thoughts and feelings, when we're simply yielding to them and acting in accordance with them, that's when the hopelessness and despair begins to set in. Let's put a little more shoe leather on this, okay? Let's say you've been dating somebody for a year. 
getting close to graduation. You're starting to think about next steps. But then for whatever reason, relationship hits a rocky patch, and then over the next two or three weeks, it's like you're literally watching it disintegrate in front of you. Everything you try to do to rescue it only makes it worse, and eventually they end up breaking up with you. And that is an incredibly painful circumstance. And it's normal to feel a sense of loss and sadness around that, but the million-dollar question is this. How are you thinking about that circumstance? How will you respond to the situation? Because when our hopes are dashed, when we don't get what we want or what we expected, we're going to face a massive temptation toward this unbelief that leads to despair. We'll think things like, why did this happen to me? Like, I can't believe this is happening. And this is right before my graduation, you know? What if I never meet anybody else like that? I doubt I'll ever be as happy with anyone else as I was with him or her. And, and these are normal thoughts, right? Like seemingly normal thoughts, but they're actually profoundly theological. Why would I say that? Why are they profoundly theological? No ideas? They raise questions about God and his power. They raise questions about God's love and his goodness and his care for you. Why did this happen? And we're essentially saying, if we believe that God's in control, why did God let this happen to me? We're challenging his goodness. Why didn't he stop it? Challenging his power. Why didn't he change the outcome? Does he just like to stick it to me? Challenging his love. Doesn't he know that I desperately want to be married? His knowledge. Will he ever provide? Thoughts like these will start blitzing through your mind. And you might not realize it at first, but you're actually responding to the situation. You are interpreting the situation according to your own wisdom, to your own grid system. And as you allow those questions to persist, as you allow those thoughts to sort of sink in and take root, without confronting them with the truth, either fear or anger will take over, and as those persist, you're going to descend into the pit of hopelessness and despair. That's how it happens. And so instead of listening to ourselves and acting on those lies, we've got to get busy confronting ourselves with the truth. All right, the psalmist models, models this for us, it, it, particularly with this depression in Psalm 42. So if you want to go ahead and open there. Side note, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, an entire book called Spiritual Depression. It was a number of his sermons. And this was his anchor text, and I think appropriately so. Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1, just listen to it. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now you might think, hmm, sounds, sounds nice. We could write a song about that. But now listen, verse 3. 
My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Now listen to this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He challenges his own soul. Hope in God is the content of the sermon. (laughs) Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And he's back to it. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Again, he ends the psalm the same way. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So there again, we have this example of the psalmist. He's not just letting these thoughts go. He's coming to God in prayer. He's wrestling with these thoughts. He's confronting his soul with the truth. He's recalling truth to his mind in this pit of despair he found himself in. In Psalm 43, there's a similar refrain uh, at the end of Psalm 43 as well. Now, so if we look at that and just say, okay, kind of as a summary, we, we, can't, we can't just listen to ourselves, but we have to preach to ourselves. We have to, we have to, we have to t- kind of take ourselves by the collar and say, soul, you know, listen. Listen to the truth. Here is what we know instead of yielding to what we feel. Now, if you want to know, okay, how does this work out practically? Well, Paul, obviously... The Apostle Paul spells out what this psalmist says in a little bit more detail in Ephesians 4. We've been here before. And it starts with putting off what he calls the old self. So, make your way over there. It's familiar territory. It's absolutely crucial. He tells us we have to put off the old self, or... We have to begin to discern these lies that the old self is whispering. Okay? Verse 22, or we pick it up in verse 21 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught about him, as the truth is in Jesus, here it is, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So he's telling us here that we've got we've to, even though we're Christians, We still struggle with this concept of the old self, who we used to be. And then he describes it. It belongs to our former manner of life. This is who we were before we came to Christ. And this old self is thoroughly corrupt. It's thoroughly corrupt. Can't trust him at all. Because he has been, he's he's been deceived. And he craves evil. So that's the idea, these desires of deceit. I've talked about this a ton but the desires that spring out of our deception of this old man. So the old man's thoroughly deceived. He's craving things. He feels emotions out of that deception. 
And it's, it's a corrupting thing. And so how do you know if it's the old man? Well, if, it's, if he's contradicting God's word. Okay, that is the old man speaking. And you have to put him off in his entirety, or her off in her entirety. So when you're starting to descend into the feelings of hopelessness and despondency, what are you saying to yourself? That's the question. What is the real going on in your mind? You have to start smoking that out. It'll be in your head, and it may not be evidently clear to you at first, because it's so normal for you to think that way. I've had people fight me on that. I'm not thinking anything. It's like, I know you are, (laughs) because the Scriptures say you are. So let's be patient with this. Let's, let's think about it, and then they'll come back next week. Next week, it's like, whoa, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot here. My, my heart is very active in my inner man, and yes, it is. So you've got to pause, and you have to think about what you're thinking about. And I like to tell people just to write it out. There's, there's, a, there's deception. I like to see it for my own life, to see it out there, and then because I know that there's deception that's laced throughout those thoughts. So is God holding out on me? Is he really good? Is he really going to provide what I need? Can I trust him? All those things are just full of deception. And Christ wants to help me see that. It's the sort of first step, you know, as we're battling this, these depressive feelings. And often, almost always, you need help in this because it's very difficult. Um, so get help from somebody who's wiser and more discerning than you are to help you evaluate your thoughts with Christ's truth. You can I'll, I'll expedite the process <laughs> So much. Um, if you can just have a, a friend or a pastor or a, or a disciple or sit down with you. And that's, that evaluation is what Paul calls this renewal of the mind in the next, the next step. And that involves you know, believing the truth, knowing what the truth is, believing the truth that we've been taught in Christ. And he says that here in verse 23. So you've got to put off this old man, and then verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. He's talking about taking truth, confronting the lies that we believe, and laying hold of those things by faith. So that means then, as, as those lies are becoming clearer, as you're getting that real out in the open, and you're seeing, okay, man, I'm starting to say some of these things, it'll be helpful to have a few key truths that will be there to help you renew your mind from Scripture. So it would go, if we take our example from earlier, if you're tempted to doubt God's goodness in the breakup, you could pray something like Psalm 119.68. Lord, I know you are good and that you do good. Always, in every circumstance, even in this breakup, I'm tempted to doubt that right now, but please help me trust your promise and not what I feel. If you're tempted to, to, to be in fear, and think that he's never going to provide for your needs. You can recall something like Christ's promise in Matthew 6, 8, and say, Father, you've promised that you know what I truly need before I even ask you. And you have committed to provide all I need. So instead of floundering in fear, I'm going to trust you right now. If I need a spouse, I'm confident that you will provide one for me in your perfect timing. And this isn't a one and done. Okay? This is a review daily, multiple times a day. This is a get it in your mind, memorize it. We're not just talking about like you memorize truth and all of a sudden you're better. We're talking about you've got to apprehend this, you've got to believe it, you've got to live on this. 
Nourish yourself on these truths. Make this part of your quiet time. Start the day, end the day, in these truths. Memorize them so that they're accessible to you with or without your Bible. And as important as this is, it has to go one step further. Faith propels us one step further, and we have to put on the new man, as Paul says, or I've reframed this, act on the truth and not our feelings. Paul says we have to put on this new man in verse 24. To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Christ has given us this new package of, of, of a new creation righteousness, and He wants us to put it on. Actually, we don't earn this gift. He's given it to us, but we have to put it on. We have to appropriate the gift, and that's the metaphor. We have to put on the clothes He's given us. And this means we have to act in faith on what we know as we've renewed our minds. So, in this moment, you need to plan for what you're going to do as you choose to believe the truth. Right? How are you going to, to do good instead of evil? How are you going to obey Christ? It's especially important for those struggling with depression to have a plan for obedience. To know what the next right thing is to do and not get too far ahead. Like, just do the next right thing. Like, if you could just say that to yourself over and over again, that's transformative. Do the next right thing. Because I trust the Lord in this moment. The massive temptation in depression is to neglect to do good because you don't feel like it. You're sad, you're despondent, it's easier to isolate, to distract yourself, to seek pleasure in some other way because you're pitying yourself. But what happens when you start neglecting responsibilities is you now add guilt to the mix. Right? And the depression compounds. Like you didn't do that thing you're supposed to do. And now it's worse. So now you feel worse, right? And it's, it's a terrible compounding effect. So instead of living by how you feel, force yourself to act on what you know is true and do the next right thing. If this is really true about God, and it is, you know, if it's coming from his word, then how would I act right now if I really believe this? What would I do in response to this truth? Right? So let's take the breakup. I know I feel really embarrassed going to church right after the breakup since everybody's going to be asking me about it. Like everybody. Like they all knew we were dating. Now we're not. It's so embarrassing. I'm tempted to isolate at home, but I know I need the truth. Christ says I need his truth. Christ says I need the church, and he says I need it now more than ever. I know it's right to go, so I'm going to face the embarrassment, and I'm going to go in spite of what I feel. That's doing the next right thing. Or, the last thing I feel like doing is going into work today. What if somebody asked me about my, my boyfriend that we're now broken up and I, and I cry all the way through my shift? That would be humiliating. It would be. But I know it's right to go to work, to seek to work hard for Christ's sake. I know that's right. I know that pleases him. I believe he's with me. I believe he'll help me. If I cry through my shift, so be it. It will humble me and show me even more that I need Christ's help. That's doing the next right thing. And that is the path out in response to God's promises in faith. If you get a hold of that, that will transform your life. 
How much time do we have? Five minutes. Let's talk about a guilty conscience. We also saw last time that the depressed feelings might not necessarily be because we're responding wrongly to a trial. It might not be because there's some organic issue going on, but it might just be because we're living in sin and our consciences are on fire. David knew that all too well in Psalm 32. He experienced a lot of depressive symptoms when he hit his sin. He didn't have any strength. He felt crushing internal pressure from the Lord. And sometimes the same is true for us, right? We might feel depressed, but it's because we're guilty and we know it. We might feel hopeless that our attempts to either cover our sin or atone for ourselves are not working. And here too, even in this, we've fallen prey to believing a lie. And we need the truth to renew our thinking. And from a counseling perspective, the, the main culprit here, as far as like the sin that leads to depression, any guesses? Fear? It's a little more normal. And again, this isn't like, this doesn't mean it's true. It's just anecdotal. Like this is what I see in this demographic. Pride? Okay, yeah, pride is kind of the root of a lot of things. Good, that's a good answer. Um, a specific thing, laziness. Pleasure-seeking. Now, here's what I mean. We often idolize pleasure, and then as a result, we're gonna, we neglect the responsibilities the Lord's given to us. So then the homework piles up. The chores pile up. The tasks at work pile up. We get behind, and the pressure builds, and we start feeling guilty. Because we know we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Because we're actually being lazy. And so then what happens? You start feeling guilty. You get discouraged. It starts sinking into some hopeless feelings. You might lack energy to do the task that you're behind in. And then you get even more behind. It is a vicious cycle. And for many depressed people, it's tempting to blame everything on the depression itself, right? Like, I'm depressed. As though you're not responsible for the problem. But the problem isn't the guilt or the discouragement, it's the laziness that's driving it. And so, think about this. This often goes unconfessed, doesn't it? It just lays there. Unconfessed, like, like following in the footsteps of David, Psalm 32. But the solution is beautifully simple. It's taking responsibility for the Lord for that. Humbling in ourselves in confession, saying, Lord, I'm, I'm guilty. Like, I need mercy. I need help. I'm lazy. I need to grow in this area. I need your mercy. And guess what he does? He drowns us with mercy and his help. It won't happen all at once in terms of the help. And like, we would, like just because we pray that, we're then turn into this like rich brown work ethic. You know, like, but it will, you, you will begin to grow into those things. We have to stop covering our sin and come to Him in humility, and that will open us up to the grace and power for change. We won't get very far at all until we're willing to stop blaming others and take responsibility for our sin that's often leading to our depression. 
So if you're counseling somebody in this area, we're professional blame shifters, by the way, every single one of us, okay? So to expect to be pinned to the wall at some point. Okay, good questions to ask others who might be struggling in this area. Okay, do you think God is pointing out sin in your life in this, over, around these depressed feelings? Do you sense any temptation to blame others for your problems? What life responsibilities have you been neglecting? Those are helpful to kind of get right to the root of some of these, some of these problems under this category. Other times, though, people who struggle with depression know all too well they are guilty of sin, especially if that sin was like a big sin, kind of in our eyes, or a sin that had devastating consequences. They've confessed it to the Lord and to others like a thousand times. And yet, the guilt remains. They think if they're broken enough or sad enough that God will see their sincerity and forgive them. And so their depression, in a way, is a form of self-atonement. They are trying to atone for their sins by feeling depressed and despondent. They don't believe Christ's sacrifice is enough for their sin and for God to forgive them and love them. And the answer is entrusting yourself to Christ's promises that He is our propitiation, that He is our righteousness, before the Father, like He promises us in 1 John chapter 2. And so some good questions you can ask people in this that are struggling here is just, hey, if you could change something about your past, what would it be? Why, why would you change that thing? If you're kind of, as you're talking with them, you're kind of sensing that there's, some, there's a, a past thing that's happened that they can't, they can't come get over. What, what would you change and Why? Sometimes it's sin that happened to them. So, like, they are the victim, right, of the sin that was perpetrated against them. And so that still needs help. They still need to be able to work through that. Another question is, if you believe you are a failure, whose standards are you trying to live up to, and what are those standards? Very helpful questions. So if you want more on this, we're going to wrap up here, but if you want more on this in terms of confession, the concept of self-atonement, we've talked extensively about this when we work through 1 John. Uh, so you can go on the website, or even better, there's a, a Nate just made a uh, podcast, uh, an Apple podcast and a Spotify podcast um, of Balmas and, and other, other ministries in the church. So that's much more accessible. So we'll try to get those to you guys. But 1 John sermons are there. 1 John 1, 8 through 2, 2 is like gold. On, on these issues here. My point here is just as you learn to entrust yourself to Christ, as you learn to really believe and appropriate the gospel's promises to your daily situations, many times the depression will lift like it did for David in Psalm 32. And as you learn to grow in that area, as you learn to make progress in following Christ and that besetting sin, you're going to find even more encouragement and hope and purpose. And so, man, just a lot, a lot there. I know I kind of gave you a lot to think about, chew on, but... This is basically just growth series Ephesians 4 applied to this issue of fighting our depressive emotions. I'm sure you have questions. We are two minutes over. Um, let's just talk about this. we got Thursday night, okay? So come on out Thursday. Let's, let's chat about these things, and um, we'll be dismissed.